seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Hello and welcome everybody to Everything Paranormal Podcast Show 2021. This is episode 7 for November 3rd, 2020, which is also election day for a bunch of idiots that don't know how to vote. (laughs) I'm your host, Paramike, and in the dark dungeon, the dark side news world... Is the lovely Paralore. Hello. Hi. Good afternoon. <laughs> She's got some massive stories to read to try to finish off from Halloween that just passed and everything. And then I got some other stories I'll be reading which are fascinating. But also conspiracy as well. True. So, I'm going to turn it over to you, lovely gothic <laughs> goddess, for your stories. Okay. Um, let's see. Where we left off at? Um, uh, Halloween H2O, the movie. I got some trivia and, stu- and things and more stuff you did not know about it. Uh, let's see. It starts out, um, even after 20 years, Jamie Lee Curtis said that seeing Michael Myers on set still scared her. Oh, girl is set. Come on. (laughs) She's just a fucking character. During the scene where Norma is leaving, she stands in front of the car from Psycho 1960. The music playing in the background at this point is also from Psycho. Janet Lee, again, mother of Jamie Lee Curtis, who plays Nora, Norma, sorry, in Halloween H2O, uh, played Marion in Psycho. The license plate on the car is also the same as the second car Marion drives in Psycho. NFB 418 is the initials which are Norman Bates. LL Cool J's line, comb your hair. Was ab- ad-libbed, inspired by Josh uh, Hartnett's messy haircut. Okay. The movie originally supposed to be a sequel to Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers, 1995. Kevin Williamson's original treatment for H2O included a scene in which Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, 1988, which we have already read, Halloween 5, Revenge of Michael Myers, 1989, and the sixth film, Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers, 1995, are all referenced and acknowledged as being in continuity in canon. The feet... Take a drink, I already stumbled. 
It's five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> the scene was filmed, and it involves Sarah, Jody Lynn O'Keefe, the student at the school where Laurie Strode, Jamie Lee Curtis, teaches under the name Carrie Tate. Sarah gives a class report on the Haddonfield murders, going into great detail about Jamie Lloyd, Laurie Strode's daughter, uh, from Halloween 4 through 6, played by Daniel Harris, and J.C. Brandy. Sarah mentions Jamie Lott losing her parents in a car accident, as was the expl explanation in those sequels for Laurie Strode's absence. Her, repor her report chronicles Jamie being haunted, yeah, haunted, haunted, words are hard, and eventually killed by her uncle, Michael Myers. And upon hearing this oral presentation in the classroom, a grief-stricken grief Carrie slash Lori retreats to a to a restroom in Ralph's. Well, it says vomits, but I'm gonna give uh, my own interpretation. Goes into the bathroom and Ralph's into the porcelain god. Williams's challenge was thus to create an explanation for Lori's death in the previous movies and her subsequent resurrection while keeping the fourth, fifth, and sixth film in the continuity. He came up with Lori faking her death and getting into the witness protection program with her son under the, under the alias Carrie Tate. This scene was finally omitted from the final cut of the film together with every reference to Halloween 4, 5, and 6. When it was decided that these sequels would be ignored and the film would di directly follow Halloween 2, 1981, even though there was no longer a direct reason for Lori to have gone into hiding under a fake name, this element of the original plot remains in the finished film. Talk about uh, saying fuck four, five, six, we'll just do uh, the second one. Makes no sense. Jamie Lee Curtis consi considers the film a thank you from thank you note from her fans. Curtis, without that early career, I truly don't think I would have been an actor. I'm pretty sure you could have found other actors to uh, consider becoming an actor for that reason instead of just her. I may go out on a limb here, but come on. Jamie Lee Curtis, nowadays, she hasn't really done anything, unless you count NCIS. <laughs> John Carpenter 
was originally in negotiations to be the director since Jamie Lee Curtis wanted to reunite the cast and crew of the, of the original. It was believed that Carpenter, Carpenter opt, opted out because he wanted no active part in the sequel. However, this is not the case. He had agreed to direct the movie, but his starting fee as director was $10 million. God damn! And he wanted a three-picture deal with Dim Dimension Films. A little fucking greedy, are we? Mm-hmm. Carpenter rationalized this by saying the hefty fee was compensation for revenue he never received from the original Halloween 1978 film. A matter that was still a point of contention between Carpenter and producer Mustafa Akid, even after 20 years had passed. When Akid and Dimension Films Weinstein Brothers balked at Carpenter's demands, he walked away from the project. Well, no offense to John Carpenter, but um, wasn't that real, real good as a director? Well, let's see, quite a few of his movies after his original Halloween flopped. And I'm including Carpenter's vampires in that one. <laughs> Fucking Christ, can you cast anybody better than the lead actor of John Bon Jovi? Come on! Anyway. However, here's some more. LL Cool J had always been a fan of the Halloween movies. His mother told him to see the original when he was just nine years old. Um. Nope, I'm going to leave that alone. What Jamie Lee Curtis's character says go down the street to the Beckers. This was supposed to refer to the line from Halloween 1978. Go down to the go down the street to the Mackenzie's house. The name was changed to Becker, which was the last name of Drew Barrymore's character in Scream 1996. Which kind of gives the film justice she dies after the first five minutes not saying she's probably not a nice person her acting ugh, just as bad as Alicia Silverstone before he knew Jamie Lee Curtis was involved Josh Hartnett wasn't sure he wanted to audition S Halloween 7 is that going straight to video or is it that going straight to hell During the credits in the prologue, Dr. Samuel J. Loomis, Loomis's dialogue from the first film about Michael's incar incarceration is heard. The studio was unable to, re to retrieve the unmixed audio from the original scene to reuse and were forced to tap voice actor Tom Kane to imitate Donald Pleasance, who played Dr. Loomis in the first six films. During one of the scenes at school, 
Charlie, who played Adam Henby, uh, Bird, tells John, Josh Harnett, 20 years from now, you're still going to be living with her, probably running some weird motel out in the middle of nowhere. I actually remember that line. This is a reference to Psycho, the 1960 Alfred Hitchcock film starring, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis's mother and fellow H2O co-star Janet Leigh, which we've already talked about. How, let's see. Jimmy, J yeah, Jamie. Janet Lee's first role in a feature film for 18 years. Her previous theatrical film was The Fog, 1980, which also starred her daughter. And let's see. PJ Souls was originally approached for the role of Carrie Tate's slash Laurie Strode's secretary. Souls never gave a straight answer as to what she wanted to do. Skeptical about returning to the series as someone completely different than her character Linda, originally killed off in Halloween 1978. She eventually lost the role to, ja to Jamie Lee Curtis's mother, who was approached after not getting an answer from Souls. Well, that's actually her fault. That's PJ Souls' fault. Shocking. You either take what you get, what you're offered, or it's going to be passed up by someone who hasn't been seen in a movie in God knows how many years. I know that a little too well. In the scene where Janet Lee's character speaks to Lori, she asks if she can offer some maternal advice. Which I'm not repeating myself. The director and writers decided to treat this movie as if Halloween 3 through 6 never took place. This was a decision made to keep the plot simple and focus on the Lori character. The original working title for the film was Halloween 7, The Revenge of Lori Strode. A clear pun of Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers. I'm pretty sure by now everyone knows when that came out. On the television in the girls' room, a clip from Scream 2, 1997, is played. A callback to numerous Halloween, 1978, references Eclipse in Scream, 1996. However, according to producer Mustafa Akid, when the scene was filmed, the girls were actually watching so I, so I Married an Axe Murderer, 1993. This made for an entirely different joke. A movie featuring Michael Myers had its characters watching the star of So I Married an Axe Murderer, Mike Myers. 
The clip was changed to Scream 2 in post-production. In certain scenes, Michael can be seen wearing two different masks. The director decided, well into production, to go with a different mask, so certain scenes were reshot. Some scenes with the original mask can still be seen. And in one shot, it had to be altered with CGI to replace Michael's old mask with the new one. That was really bad CGI. <laughs> one of the masks used from Halloween, the curse of Michael Myers, was used for the first scene appearance of Michael Myers. It was used for used during his attack on Marion. But all of his later appearances feature a new mask. Scalped it up for, for this film. They had shot the sequence while the studio went back and forth on what mask they preferred. Clark originally owns the mask in question now. How about you figure out what was used to create the original mask and re, re uh, replicate it? Some fucking studio people are fucking stupid. <laughs> during a, uh, during a 20, 2018 interview with Variety, Jamie Lee Curtis said H2O started out with best intentions, but it ended up being a money grab, a money gig. No shit! The film had some good things in it, it talked about alcohol, alcoholism and trauma, but I ended up really doing it for the paycheck. No shit! The shortest Halloween movie in the series, which had a runtime of 86 minutes. Seeming to tell me Child's Play 1998 was actually longer? <laughs> In the original Halloween, 1978 people pay attention. Lori answers a question about fate after seeing Michael outside the, the high school. In Halloween H2O, Lori asks... Molly a question about the novel Frankenstein, which she answers by discussing the fate of Dr. Frankenstein. Once she finishes, she sees Michael standing in a doorway outside of the school. Uh, the line, everyone is entitled to one good scare, is said by Norma to Lori. Sheriff Brackett, played by Charles Cyphers, originally said originally said it in the first Halloween. Jamie Lee Curtis recalls Josh Hartnett being someone who wanted to be an actor, but didn't want the trappings of stardom. He would wear a knit beanie 
on set at all times, remove it to film a scene, and then immediately return it to his head as a way of retaining his personality. And this is what Jeremy Lee Curtis says on that one. I respected him for that. It is annoying, but I respected him for it. Okay, if you want to become an actor, but you don't want to end up receiving what's called ultimate stardom, why the fuck are you an actor? I'm asking uh, all of you that are listening, what the fuck is an answer is the answer for someone who wants to be an actor but doesn't want the ultimate stardom titles for films. Explain that one. The way I see it, if you don't want the stardom that comes with being an actor, why the fuck are you an actor? That's my, that's my answer for that one. Uh, my own question. I want to hear what you guys say. Just email us at everythingparanormal2021 at gmail.com. Michelle Williams had signed on without ever having seen any of the Halloween movies. Obviously, she was a very well chaperoned child growing up. Or... She uh, was more into the Disney movies and other other shit like that. In the Halloween 25 Years of Terror documentary, John Carl Bruchler, I don't care if I said that wrong, I don't care, and Greg uh, Nicotero, it almost sounds like a bad nicotine, or a nicotine patch of KNB FX revealed four completely different masks after you are used throughout the the movie. The first one from John Carl Buechler resembled the one from Halloween 6. However, the producers were not satisfied, so they called to Greg Nicotero and had him make a new mask, and filming resumed using it. The mask was replaced again by another one in at one point CGI. I'm going to leave uh, you guys to figure out which mask is the CGI one. Okay. Jamie Lee Curtis has played Laurie Strode in films released in five different decades from the 1970s to 2010s. The original Halloween, Halloween 2, 1981, Halloween H2O, 20 years later, 1998. Halloween Resurrection, 2002. And Halloween, 2018. The newspaper clippings in the beginning were meant to be the only link 
to Halloween's four through six. After a scene in, a, in the classroom where a student summarizes what happened in those sequels was cut, the clippings would have included clues such as mysterious cult kept murders hushed up in Haddonfield and Jamie Lloyd missing with dates such as 1995 in 1989, but in the end, only one headline clue was left in. A picture of a pair of bloody scissors that may have been the ones used to kill Rachel Carruthers in Halloween 5. Jamie Lee Curtis originally wanted Lori's life to be in a shambles at the start of the film. Executive producer Kevin Williamson convinced her that Lori that Lori would have more to lose. Jamie Lee Curtis, nickname for Chris Dur Durand, Michael Myers, during filming was shapy. Don't know what the fuck that's supposed to be. Originally, Sarah Jody Lynn O'Keefe was written as a bitchy student who was dating Mitch, John Tate's original name. She was also supposed to be the student who wrote a paper on the, on the Haddonfield murders, which would have connected four through six. The phrase do as I say is spoken twice by Laurie while escorting the students to safety. This same line was spoken to the children in the original. The statue of Butterball, the Cenobite from Hellraiser, can be seen on Jimmy's porch while the nurse knocks on his door. According to Halloween, Curse of Michael Myers, writer Daniel Farrens, uh, however I said it before, I don't care, who wrote an early draft of the film. There was originally a scene script scripted and supposedly filmed where a student in Lloyd's class does a report on a book called The Halloween Murders in an effort to tie all the movies together. This was dropped, however, when it was decided by the director and producers to ignore the four through six. So as to concentrate more on the Laurie Strode aspect of the story. In the film, a, cl a clip of scene two is shown. Chris Durand, who plays the killer Michael Myers, had an uncredited role as a stunt double for the masked killer in screen, two, in screen two. Director Steve Miner also directed two films in another popular horror, French horror series. Friday the 13th, Part 2, 
and Friday the 13th Part 3. When asked if they gave any thought to who John's Hartnett father was, both Steve Miner and Jamie Lee Curtis say it doesn't matter. Um, if you're trying to explain in interviews about certain um, logic, you're not, your answer shouldn't be it doesn't matter. When Molly is in the classroom, she spots Michael outside the school. It gets interrupted by the teacher. And when she looks again, he is gone. Just like Jamie Lee Curtis in the, in the first, in the original Halloween. This is the third time Jamie Lee Curtis has worked with her mother on screen. They both appeared in the same episode of the TV, te TV series, The Love Boat, in 1978, and then The Fog, 1980, which was directed by original Halloween filmmaker John Carpenter. Curtis's stunt double broke her foot during the scene where they're driving the car and have to stop to open the gate. She slammed on the brakes and the anti-lock brakes pushed back on her. Ow. The original treatment for H2O by Kevin, Kevin Williamson was much more sparse on character detail and had a radically different ending. In the place of Nancy Stevens's character of Marion Whittington, in the trademark Williamson opener, a new character was originally to be created, Rachel Loomis, Dr. Sam Loomis's daughter. She would have the computer files of Laurie Strode slash Carrie Tate on her home computer. Rachel would come home to discover her computer on, it would swiftly be dispatched by the shape. Also, in the climax of the treatment, there is a massive helicopter and a bus chase sequence, culminating in the downed helicopter spinning out of control and decapitating the shape with its own, with its out of control rotor a la Mission Impossible 96. Kevin Williamson was one of the screenwriters hired to write a script after Jamie Lee Curtis agreed to return. And he was said to have actually finished a draft or two with Curtis's input involving a radically different ending. His vision was not officially used. Well, that's no surprise. But he did several rewrites on set based on his treatment for the movie. That became the final filmed version. Williamson was not credited in the end as per WGA rules, which state that additional writers on sequels had to write at least 33% of the script to receive an on-screen credit. 
Ooh. That would explain the second uh, screenwriter, right? Uh, not right. Um, what the hell is that fucking word? Oh, strike, sorry. That's one reason why there was a second writer's strike. Back then. Yes, dear? I wonder if it's like that today. Um. With every director, movie maker, and all the other idiots. I wonder if that's still legal today. Um. After the first, well, figure after the second uh, writer's strike, uh, I believe uh, it states if you're a writer, you get the same the same percentage of the script, or I should say half of what the director gets. Yeah. I could be wrong, but I could have sworn that Dom Mancini said that once. Due to the fact he's the writer and now director of it. Right. Curtis said in the documentary track for the film of H2O that as far as she is concerned, the movie starts at 1 hour 9 minutes and 28 seconds. When Laurie se sends the kids for hell but stays behind to face off against Michael. Shocker. Contrary to popular belief, Kevin Williamson was in fact not the original writer of the film. Originally, Robert Zappia was hired to pen Halloween, The Two Faces of Evil, which was planned to go direct-to-video after the modest box office performance of Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. Zapia's original script was set to a fenced-in boarding school, as does the finished film. However, when Jamie Lee Curtis expressed interest in returning to the series, Kevin Williamson, who was coming off of his blockbuster success with Scream, 96, was asked by Dimension Films to pen a treatment that added Laurie Strode. When the WGA deemed that Williamson did not deserve writing credit on the screenplay, Dimension Films, hoping to market the film as from the creator of Scream, offered Zapia more money to, sh to share the writing credit. Zapia declined, so the studio made Williamson and executive producer credit on the finished film. I see why freaking Hollywood is so fucking two-faced. Bastards! A subplot involving two detectives, one male, one female, tracking Michael for the murder of Nurse Stevens was cut from the, from the script. Remnants of the characters remain at the start of the picture. When two random detectives are talking in the, in the home office of Stephen's home. Jamie Lee Curtis 
is no fan of her film Virus that came out in 1999. It's the worst movie ever made. Well, if it was the first move, worst movie, why the fuck did you do it? Adding that she lobbied hard to get the director fired and replaced with Steve Miner. Shocking. He was um, available though, as he was working at Dawson's Creek, which is where he met Kevin Williamson. Dawson taking a leak in a creek? Who was eventually brought in to work on the film script. Director Steve Miner had commented on receiving late night phone calls from Jimmy Lee Curtis worried and complaining about the state of the script. They both agreed that Kevin Williamson's uncredited contributions made for a much better film. I don't know about all that. The school bosses used to, fu- to show how all the stu- school students are, are leaving for a break were picked up by the studio on the cheap and didn't have, and they didn't come with seats. In one draft of the script, Charlie was intended to be the killer, acting as Michael Myers, act, acting like a Michael Myers copycat. Shocking. Jamie Lee Curtis and director Steve Miner recall lobbying for a brief scene where Laurie Strode gets out of the car and does a double take when Michael Myers walks by, but the actor shut us down. During the con- uh, commentary track, Steve Miner says he v- views this as a direct sequel to Carpenter's original Halloween. He later adds that the film needed to end with Laurie killing her brother. Not me and my other brother. The fucking storyline. <laughs> a plot point that was first did introduced in Halloween 2, the 81st version. Michael's mask, which we all know was digitally enhanced, but it was digitally enhanced at 58 minutes and I believe 27 seconds is what I'm looking at for a number, which looked odd according to director Steve Miner on the film's commentary track. No, it didn't look odd. It looked pathetic. The body count for the film is seven with two two off-scene. I hate the off-scene ones because you don't know what the fuck it is. But you just see two two extra dead bodies. Don't drop the freaking knife. Yelled Curtis on the commentary as Lori drops the knife. Yeah, I remember that part in the movie. Okay, this is her... Her own explanation for why she's yelling at a TV. I'm sure all of us have done that at one point. You still do. Yeah, but you do more when you're playing your shooting games. That's different. 
Okay, her account of what she yelled. Ah, I could punch her in the nose right now. She adds that they made her drop the knife in the first movie and isn't sure why she didn't learn from that mistake. Um, I don't know how credible you would sound anymore if you're looking at your character and you're yelling at it like it's another person. The teenagers at the beginning are watching Plan 9 from Outer Space, which was a movie that came out in 1957. Jamie Lee Curtis refers to the film as Field of Screens. Uh, I think that's a copyright infringement almost on Field of Dreams. But I could be wrong. It might be. If you build if you build it, they will come. Yeah. Uh well actually that's, now, the, one, that's the the um the baseball movie. The that actually called Field of Dreams. Yeah. With Kevin Costner. Yes. Where he's hearing the ghosts of baseball players in his backyard. Not only hearing them, but he's farm, seeing them. Which is a huge farm. Yeah. And everything, and that was one of the lines in the movie. If you build it, they will come. And he builds this giant-sized baseball field, and ta-da! There's the ghosts of baseball men. Yeah, I know that. Well, due to the fact this says Field of Screams, um, it's not really considered a copyright. Cause it's close enough. Okay, explain with the Merkins with their musics. They're all parodies. Yeah. Of music that's already came out. Yeah, I know. So, they uh, they got away with it because they changed it up. They yeah. changed the title. It doesn't mean it's counterfeit. Yeah, you can find a loopholes in that. No shit. Through courts, of course. That's why I'm saying, now I'm actually seeing, feel the screams... If you build it, they will. Co- the field of screams itself is not copyright, but the line "If you build it, they will come." That's in between a, a line. I don't know what that line is. That's what I was actually not taught in my film class. Mm. The majority of John Oatman's original score was rejected late in post-production and replaced with Marco Beltremi's scores to Scream 96 and Scream 2 that came out a year later and Mimic 1997. Okay, Mimic was stupid. But, okay, I'm going to keep up, keep reading here. The producers wanted a darker, more Scream-like score well, Ottman's score wasn't strong enough to fit the bill. Some of what remained of Ottman's score was heavily edited and often was used for scenes for which they were not originally intended. Nonetheless, Ottman's music was later released in its entirety on an album entitled Portrait of Terror. From Farseshi 
Sarah Band Records. What a name. Yeah. But, um, the original score being rejected and replaced with scores that sound too much like Scream. Um, a little bit of a tirade P PSA for you. You cannot make a new fucking theme, original score for the theme of a movie if it's not similar to the other ones. Fucking morons. One month after the film was released, Jamie Lee Curtis got a star on the Walk of Fame. Oh, look goody for you. But yet, George Romero has never been able to get one. But she could get one. Bastards. PJ Souls was asked to play the role of Norma Watson, which is the same name as the character she played in Carrie. 1970, 1976. Uh-huh. Charles S. Dotton, Dotton, sorry, originally had a small role in the film as a detective. However, his part was removed as script rewrites came in. That's not a fucking shocker. Molly and Sarah are shown watching Scream 2 when Will, the guidance counselor, checks in on them. A subtle nod to Scream 96 when all the teams at the party I said teens teens at the party watched the original Halloween. I actually remember that. And okay. Norma says, you know, to Carrie slash Lori that the girl's shower is clogged again. This is a reference to Janet's role to the Janet role in Psycho. Where she was butchered in the famous shower scene. Which was actually an homage in uh, Seed of Chucky, if you get my drift, dear. Yeah, I know. Only in Seed of Chucky, the bitch don't get stabbed. She falls out of the tub. Chris Durand, who plays Michael Myers, was born in 1963. The same year, his character killed his older sister, Judith. Huh. When Jimmy's first shown, he's wearing a hockey mask, which was really stupid, which is undoubtedly a reference to Jason Voorhees. Director Steve Miner, who also directed Friday the 13th Part 2 and Part 3 that came out a year later, the latter of which Jason requires his trademark hockey mask from one of his victims. Okay, that explains that one. During the opening credits, there's a yearbook photo with Laurie Strode as part of the class of 78, meaning she graduated in 78. However, in the original film, Lori was in school during the fall of 1978. 
although it's not mentioned what grade she was in, she could have been the class of either 78, 80, wait, she could have been the class of 79, 80, or 81. Jamie Lee Curtis and William, and yeah, Jimmy Curtis and Michelle Williams bonded over books. Oh, how touchy. And the young actress gave Curtis his first edition. The title is unnamed when they rapped. She is very intellectual. Uh Uh-huh. But Carrie slash Lori catches John, Josh Hartnett, pay attention, drives him back to school after he sneaks out the song Enter, uh, yeah, Enter, Mr. Sandman by the Cordettes is playing on the radio in her car, which is the same song that plays at the beginning of Halloween 2. H2O is the seventh film in the series. H2O is the chemical symbol for water, no shit, which has a pH balance of 7.0. No shit! Not figured that out in my uh, freshman class of physical science. On the day of Adam Henbert's edition, he had a really bad headache. Well, I get those too, but they're called migraines. And they laughed, and he thought he botched the real. Oh, the, yeah, real. Botched the the read. Because he was so out of it. But his sickness somehow worked to his favor. And director Steve Miner and the producers read his performance as detached and creepy. He landed the role of Charlie. And a few weeks afterward, Steve Miner called him up to say, We're doing another pass on the script. Now Charles is going to be the horny best friend. To which Adam said, I've always wanted to play a horny best friend. Nope. Um, Dude's got issues. No shit. I'm sorry, but goddamn. Kevin Williamson was involved in various areas of production. Although not directly credited. He provided the rewrites to character dialogue, which is seen heavily throughout the teen moments. Merrimack slash Dimension Films felt his involvement as a co-executive producer omitted being or uh, merited being credited. Take a drink. I stumbled three times in that one. Better yet, chug. If you're driving, wait till you get home. The original script included a subplot which featured Molly as an ugly duckling. Who was madly in love with John Tate? Whose name was originally going to be Mitch? Let's see. Lee Curtis said that they had asked Mike Myers to do a cameo in the movie. Just 
walking down the street past Lori, and she does a double take. When she sees him, but he said no. Yeah, because he knew it wasn't about him, you fucking dumbass. And two, now that I think about it, So I Married an Axe Murderer was a fucking comedy. Not a horror movie. And from my knowledge in film school, I've never seen Mike Myers. Saturday Night Live. Austin Powers and other films. And Wayne's World. Yeah, Wayne's World and Shrek. He's never done horror films. He's done comedies to, like, airhead comedy style to, uh, to kid stuff. Unless he's talking with an, uh, with a Scottish accent. <laughs> I love it. I talk with a Scottish accent. Productions designer John Willett used Michael Myers' mask to inspire the sets. Willett wanted the exterior of Hillcrest to be calm, while inside it's totally crazy. Just wacko. Michael would be in his early 40s when the actor who played him, Chris Durand, was in his mid-30s. I think on the whole emphasis of Michael Myers of Halloween, it doesn't look like he ages. Mm. You don't know if he ages. He's wearing a fucking mask. Yeah. Let's see. Ah! This is the third highest grossing film of the franchise, according to box office Mojo. Uh-huh. The car that Michael steals from the rest stop area from the mother and daughter is a 1956 International Harvester Travelo. Travelo, however you want to fucking pronounce that one. Most of the, of the film was shot on stage 24 on the back lot of Universal Studios. Ha <laughs> ha! I was right on that one too! Sorry, Richie. No, you're not. Huh? No, you're not. It, I'm reading it. It was filmed on a set lot in Universal Studios. Which is located right by where the studio tour tram ride starts. Yeah, this is actual the Universal Studios, not the fucking theme ride parks. Every time the tram would drive by, Adam Henbird would run out with his prosthetic neck gash, spilling fake blood everywhere, trying to get a rise out of the tourists. He'd stumble up and try to grab them. They all thought it was part of the show. He was, however, able to or- uh, orchestrate some really nice gross-out moments at the studio commissary during lunchtime. Well, apparently, he did, a- he did the right job then. He did good. Originally, director Steve Miner wanted Jerry Goldsmith 
to score the film. Having already worked with him on Warlock, 1989, and Forever Young, 1992. Um, yeah. The score... The person who did the score on Warlock did not do that well. Music from Scream was added, of course, to the chase scenes later on during post-production. Composer John Altman expressed some displeasure about this action in an interview featured on the Halloween 25 Years of Terror DVD release in 2006. Altman's score was su supplemented with Marco Beltrami's scores, which I've already mentioned, by a team of music editors as well as new cues written by Beltrami during the final days of sound mixing on the film. Bob Weinstein demanded the music changes after being dissatisfied with Altman's score. I wonder if there was a lawsuit on that. You got a fucking contract and someone else uh, decides to change it without you knowing or changes it regard without uh let's see i forgot i forgot how it was taught to me but if someone's musical score is hired is wanted by whatever studio or director if uh, a producer, but it's a producer that decides to change it, disregarding the legal contracts that were signed, that means you owe, you owe yourself an appearance in court. And it would not be small claims. The film takes place from... October 29th to October 31st, 1998. Let's see. We've already exp uh, explained Forever Young, which Jimmy the Curtis worked, first worked with, with the director, Steve Miner, which was J.J. Abrams' first produced script. She approached the uh, Friday the 13th Part 2 director about tackling this film after Carpenter walked away from it. Yeah, leave it to Jamie Lee Curtis to try to save the fucking day. But I would say she's about one, uh, one third of the problem of the fucking film. That's my, that's my opinion. The Carmichael steals from Jimmy's house at the beginning of the film is a 1971 Buick Skylark. Okay. At one point in the film, Charlie, Adam Henby Bird, tells John, Josh Hartnett, that he's becoming an 
Uh, oh god. I'm gonna end up butchering this. Edible Edler. Enabler. Emphasizing his attachment to his mom. Lori. Who has since changed her name to Carrie Tate. As a child actor. Hen Beard. Or Bird. Sorry. Appeared in the movie Little Man Tate. It came out in 1991. Where he portrayed Fred Tate. A lonely little boy prodigy with emotional needs only his single mom covers. Okay. That's a little, uh, rinse. That's a little, ugh. I'm not even going to pronounce it. Michael's Knife, if people are wondering. In this film, was a 14 inch Wasoff. I'm not going to spell it. I'm just saying how it is. It's uh, Wusthoff. Close enough. First film in the series. This is actually the first film in the series to be released in the summer. Every film since including John... Take a drink of stumbled. Every film since including Rob Zombies followed this trend. With exception to Halloween 2018, which came out around Halloween. No official soundtrack was ever released for the film, but a compilation album by John Oatman was released in the United States and Germany under Varese Saraband label and includes the original score by Otman and numerous other cuts. Talk about, you gonna fuck me, I'll fuck you back. The Shakespeare bust, okay. The Shakespeare bust, it, if you don't know what that is, it's a sculpture of someone's head. In the background of the classroom scene where Frankenstein is discussed, is the exact same design as the one from Batman 1966, used by Batman and Robin to access the Batcave. And Paramax over here nodding his head like, yeah, I knew that one. Lori's revolver, or I should say her gun, in the in H2O is a Smith & Wesson Model 36 with a nickel finish. Not Smith and Wesson ha, do have pretty good guns. Just Model Thirty Six, I don't know about that. Smith and Wesson Forty Five is a bit better. Or uh, Smith and Wesson Seven Fifty Seven. Josh Hornet, who plays John, and Jody Little Keefe, who plays Sarah, were both born the same year the original Halloween came out. Joseph Gordon Levitt. Levat, who plays Jimmy, was born when Halloween 2 came out. The original Halloween 2. So wasn't I. And then, and even though it's not co uh, connected to Michael Myers, Adam Hen Bird played ch playing Charlie, 
was born when Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, came out. Who gives a shit? Lori slash Carrie's car, if anyone was wondering, is a 98 GMC Jimmy SLT. S, an S15 or an S-15. I don't know. Paramike's the car person over here, but um, he's a little bit busy, so I don't think he can uh, add his little comments on that one. It was a pretty nice car. Well, was it, it a car a, or was it a fucking truck? It was a car. Okay. It was a car at first, and then years later, the manufacturers decided to make it into um, a gremlin. Ah. So it's pretty good cars. Okay. It had a 275 with a, th- I think it was a four liter engine in it with a, um, a holly barrel. Yeah. For carburetor. Very good car. Let's see. Adam Hanbird's favorite moment during filming was when Jamie Lee Curtis came up to him one day and said, Steve and I were brainstorming over four, over, for over three hours last night about how best to kill you. We came up with this idea to stick your hand down a garbage disposal. I wanted to just chop it right off and give you this nasty mangled stump. But Steve thought it would be more suspense... Suspense... Suspense? No, suspenseful. Not to. He ah. said, thanks, Jamie. So glad to hear you've, you've really got my back. Remind me to send Steve a nice bottle of scotch or something. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely sarcasm. All, let's see. Only film where Michael gets the least amount of injuries getting hit and stabbed with a fireplace poker at the beginning. Ow. Axed in the chest, stabbed with a flagpole, it stabbed several times near the end. Although he did get hit in the face with a rock and kneed in the groin, he recovered quickly. Ooh. Uh, the I'm sorry. If, you need, if you're wearing steel-toed boots, it works better to do a kick in the nuts scene. Oh. Let's see, Sarah Michelle Gallar, for some odd reason, can be seen on the TV in the girls' room as they watch Scream Scream 2. Wait, Sarah Michelle Gallar wasn't even in the fucking movie. Now was she an extra? And if I remember correctly, 1997, she was doing Buffy. On one of the newspaper clippings, Seen during the opening credits, a picture of Dr. Sam Loomis can be seen. A character was featured in the previous Halloween films and was portrayed by Donald Pleasance. Let's see. The one scene where fans say Michael's mask looked like it was CGI, Chris Duran's Duran revealed it's not a CGI mask. I think that was the original mask that they were trying to dirty up 
to make it look like the Stan Winston mask we ended up with. And they did a little bit of an alteration in CGI to it. And that's what people recalls, that's what everybody calls the CGI mask. It's not really CGI. The, it's kind of CG enhanced. But they didn't really do it well. And that was the problem. It was kind of a quick shot, and it was kind of a quick cover. It was a little sloppy. Um, let's see. We all know what CGI means. CG enhanced means it's CGI'd. Doesn't mean if you try to enhance it. To look like it's not. It is CGI. I would know. I learned a lot about a lot about CGI listening to Dom and CD explain it. Mm-hmm. I'm actually looking at her uh, Wikipedia page. Be careful. Uh, some Wikipedia pages can be altered. Yeah, I know. But I don't see that movie in here. Because she started her career in 1984. Huh? She began her filming career in 1984. Yeah. Um, first movie was Over the Brooklyn Bridge. Uh, don't know. And there was some stuff I didn't watch in the 80s. I know, but she started it, supposedly was in that movie with Jamie Lee Curtis. What year? Uh, H2O came out, um... Okay, um, Sarah Michelle Gellar can be seen on the TV in the girls' be- bedroom as they watch Scream 2. I mean, in on, uh, parentheses, it says 1997. Yes, yeah, she was in Scream 2. She played Casey C.C. Cooper in 1997 on Scream 2. Shit, I'm gonna have to go back to watching them then. And she was also, in that same year... Yeah. I know what you did last summer. Yeah, yeah I remember she was screen. in that one. Yeah, so she, she gets killed off in the middle in the middle uh, middle of it. Right. So she, because in the first one, I know what you did last summer. She played Helen Shivers. Yeah. In Scream Two, she was changed. Her name was changed to Casey C.C. Cooper. Okay. Let's see, Robert Forster was considered for the role of Detective Richard Carter, a Haddonfield police officer tracking Michael Myers. Of course, Charles S. Dutton was eventually cast, but the character was dropped from the script before filming began. Oh, go figure. That don't surprise much. Sounds like you got the shit out of the stick. Well, not really necessarily, um... I think uh, Dominic City explained when he started doing directing with um, Chucky series or the Chucky franchise when he did a little brief directing in about the end of Bride of Chucky and then on becoming the full director. Each movie studio gives a gives a gives a, per, a percentage. For the film to get made. You can have so many fucking different ideas written down. But studio and budget, basically budgetary restraints will fuck that up. Yeah. 
as well as all previous movies. But Halloween 3, where he doesn't, doesn't appear, Michael Myers never talks. No shit! Like Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers is a fucking mute. He doesn't talk. Since viewers don't actually see Michael kill Charlie, Adam Hen Bird gets asked at conventions if he thinks Charlie put up a good fight before the inevitable happened to which he stated, Charlie is a lover, not a fighter. Although, if he were going to fight for something, it probably probably would be that corkscrew. Whatever the fuck that's supposed to mean. Let's uh, Somebody out there let me know what that's supposed to mean. I mean, I get the lover, not a fighter line. I get that if you're trying to get laid in a film. Or if that's what your character's trying to do. Sometimes I wonder with that uh, phrase. It's not a statement, it's a phrase. Oh, I know that. While the H2O mask was applauded for trying to look more like the original. Or, uh, yeah, more like the original films. It was ultimately disliked by audiences. Due in no small part to the fact that there were four masks used in production. These four masks were the KNB mask, the Bruchler mask, Stan Winston mask, and, C and the CGI. The uh, Bruchler's mask is the mask used in the opening scene. It was made to look like the mask from Halloween Curse of Michael Myers. The Stan Winston mask is the main mask in the film. And is the mask most mostly seen throughout the film. This was used to in reshoots to replace the K and B mask in some shots. However, even though this mask looks cl look closer to the original mask, it was criticized for being too tight. Mike, meaning Michael's eyes were often clearly visible. Looking forward, looking awkward, sorry, not forward, looking awkward, showing Michael's eyes and having messy hair. The K&B mask can still be seen in the movie, as they originally had that mask, but changed it to the Stan Winston mask. The crew had to reshoot his scenes. But many of the long shots still contain the KMB mask. The original KMB mask gets some criticism. As it looked silly and the eye holes were too wide. At a and a weird hairline that exposed most of his forehead. People said he looked like a Martian. It seemed to be a blue-white cult. A blue-white collar, color, not collar, color. Others praise it for having an aggressive, scary look. The CGI mask is only seen in one scene. 
which received negative reactions for being pointless and looking awful. The first Halloween movie has Jamie Lee Curtis in it with Donald Please. It's no shit! Let's see. Do we have any more in this? No, we don't. Okay. Um. Okay, Halloween H2O is done. The next one is going to be Halloween Resurrection. If I could find the right one. No, I got what I got two of them actually. Two of the same story, or is it two no, but different stories? It's resurrection. Yeah, I know. I don't know. One of them just says here uh, the one that uh, you sent me, but I'm trying to click on the fucking thing, and it's saying download. Oh wait. Oh, okay, got it. Screen rant. Not li no, literally. Things actually screen rant. I'm going to take a break. I need to have a cigarette, and I need a uh, quick sip of my soda over here. Okay. Huh? I said, okay. Paramike is going to do some, uh, some more Urban Legends, because um, you actually said there's actually people out there liking the Urban Legends. Yes. Except when they hear this episode, they're going to be like, ah, hold up, wait a second, what the <laughs> fuck is he talking about? I guarantee it. You can send your email at everythingparanormal2021 at gmail.com and put it in the subject of What the fuck are you saying? Okay, before you start, the first two, you know, the second one and the third one, skip the fourth. Because we already did that one prior. Yeah, I know. Okay. But Turn this it over one, to Paramike. Yep. This one was submitted at October 27th, 2015. Which is about five years ago. Yeah. This comes from San Diego, California. Earlier this month, an 80-year-old homeless white bearded man was found deceased under an overpass in San Diego, California. Nobody knew the man's name, but friends referred to him as Jesse. Investigators decided to try DNA testing with hopes that something would pop up in the National Nationwide. DNA Database. What? Not nationwide, not national. You know, I'm ad-libbing. What came up on the computer screen in the high-tech lab stunned everyone. The DNA results of Jesse Doe were an exact match to the one and only king of rock and roll, Elvis Aaron Presley. Oh, boy. 
And everybody that I've watched online, yeah. read online, all said, oh, no, that's conspiracy theory. That Jesse is not Elvis Presley. There's no way in hell. Well, a lot of people uh, might think uh, when they hear Jesse, they're thinking Full House. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, it's not John Stamos, you idiots. Although, when he played Jesse, I don't think his last name was Presley. No. It was He had a different something. name. He, uh, if I remember Full House correctly as a kid, um, the original, not the Fuller one, which is actually, the Fuller one was pretty good. Uh, Jesse played almost like like an Elvis Presley um, persona. Yeah. Because of the hair. Yeah. And he was... Uh, doing like there was one a couple scenes where he's doing like an Elvis Presley impersonator mm-hmm. I remember that going on lab technician Robert Binsdale Brins, bleh, Just excuse me take a drink butcher it Brinsdale said he and his lab assistant Madeline Hedgepath what a name <laughs> Trim the, trim the edges. <laughs> yeah. In the path. Not the path, but the path. Laughed when the name popped up. And in quotations, we thought somebody, somewhere, somehow, in the system pulled the greatest and most elaborated prank on us ever. We both laughed with hysteria for about an hour. Brinsdale told Jerry Hardin of the Hollywood Word, a new entertainment publication based out of Los Angeles. Paparazzi scumbag. Yeah. <laughs> Brinsdale and Hespreth then went to their supervisor with laughter as if he were the one behind this prank. They told they were told to simmer down and stay quiet. That this was no laughing matter. From there, the results went up the ladder to the FBI and the CIA. Of course, I like the new terminology for FBI: female body inspector. Don't bother bringing that bitch up. Now, weeks later, FBI spokesperson Philip Hunter, wow, what a name, <laughs> was reve- has revealed that the deceased man's body was actually the body of Elvis Presley, who had been in the witness protection programs since 1997. Um, 77. Oh, 77, sorry. Take a drink, I fucked up on a number. Mr. Presley was placed in the program under a voluntary basis. He was not a witness to any crime or anything like that. Once he had met President Nixon, dirtbag, and also a con artist that screwed over America when he was president, the two became great friends and Mr. Presley wanted out of his life. He wanted it to be an unknown, so President Nixon made this possible. Yes, it is official. 
Elvis Presley was really alive all that time, and only a handful of people knew it, most of which are no longer with us. And this comes from Waldorf, MD. Minnesota. Now, there's been a lot of conspiracies and everything, and I find it funny on how this story's changed so much. Um, let's see. Daily Star. Ah, crap. Hold on. Stupid advertisements. Okay. This comes from the dailystar.co.uk. Elvis Presley was found dead in, in the bathroom of his Graceland home at the age of 42 in August 16th, 1977. Whoever came up with that logic must have been a moron. The king of rock and roll's death was put down by medical professions to his use of prescription drugs. But sightings of Elvis reported after his death have led fans to believe the singer faked his death. And now a recording, which sounds like the king, has added to the debate. In this clip, unfortunately radio can't see it, and it's on my laptop, so I can't play it out on the show, but I'll, I'll try to sneak it in there somehow. Yeah. In the clip, the man is talking about how the FBI protected him from a killing organization, spellcheck asshole, called the fr- the fraternity, or for I can't even say this word, fraternity, for naturally, I can't say this word, F R A T E R N I T Y, fraternity. Thank you. He says, I knew we were in over our heads. We were involved with people who had more power, more authority than anybody we've ever dealt with before. I'm I'm talking major power. Yeah, bunch of corrupt assholes. So in order to protect myself and my family, I did what I had to do. According to author Gail Brewer Giotto, just just butcher it. Giotto, I'm going to say that, Giotto, Elvis was going to be killed by the organization, Spellcheck, you dumb bitch, and so the FBI helped him fake his death and go into hiding. In her 1988 best-selling book, Is Elvis Alive? She claimed the FBI enlisted the singer as an undercover agent in 1976. Bullshit, he was serving the country at that time. Before his rock and roll stardom. That I do know. She claimed a hound dog... Singer acted as a mole within the organization, spell check, 
But when his identity was revealed, he was put in the FBI's witness protection program to evade vengeful mobster murder. It's got his gravestone here as a picture. I'll try to see if I can get that up uh, on the web. Elvis Aaron Presley, January 8th, 1935 to August 16th, 1977. Son of Varen Elvis Presley and Gladys Love Presley, father of Lisa Marie Presley. That's what it says on his so-called tombstone. Elvis faked his death because he was going to be killed and there was no doubt about it. Brewer recently told Time Magazines in an interview, this footage was shared on Facebook by a page called Evidence Elvis Presley is Alive. And fans of the singer were left convinced the king was still alive. Wow, one viewer said, Elvis Presley alive? Another comment, Elvis is here with us today. While a third simply said, amazing. This comes as fans spotted a cryptic message on the singer's tomb. And there were several sightings of the singer last year. Elvis would have been 84 on Tuesday. The American was famous around the world in the 50s and 60s for songs such as Can't Help Falling in Love and Suspicious Minds. He is regarded as one of the most significant culture icons of the 20th century. So that came from dailystar.co.uk. Now, we're going over to Snopes.com, and they are doing fact checks, which I don't think that has anything to do with the story. No, it doesn't. Unfortunately, so I didn't read that. And it says, was the body of an elderly homeless man identified as Elvis Presley? Ooh, there's one for you. Huh? There's a question for you. Many homeless tenants have been found living under freeway overpasses in San Diego, but one was, but was one of them really Elvis? Take a drink. I fucked up on that one. Stupid ads. I hate this. And this was February 1st, 2015. It was published on Snopes.com. The body of a homeless man found in San Diego has been identified as that of Elvis Presley. On January 31st, 2015, entertainment website EmpireNews.net published an article reporting that the body of a homeless man discovered in San Diego has been found through DNA testing to be that of singer Elvis Presley. Early this month, an 80-year-old homeless 
Whitebeard, Whitebeard man was found deceased under an overpass in San Diego, California. Nobody knew the man's name, but friends referred to him as Jesse, which I already read in the last one. Uh, soon afterwards, links and experts refer uh, referencing sorry this article were being circulated via social media with many of those who encountered them uh, I'm sorry encountered the item mistaking it for a genuine news article however the report was just a spoof of the uniqueness Elvis is alive and Elvis faked his death. Rumors that have circulated ever since the singer passed away in, like I said, August of ninety of nineteen seventy seven, accompanied by the artificial or I'm sorry, artificial rendering of what an elderly Elvis might look like. The spoof was published by the Empire News, a site that issues nothing but fictional stories with titles such as Cure for Cancer Discovered, Amazingly Simple, says researchers, and college student excused from classes after dog-eating grandmother, and woman gives birth confesses doctors by asking for maternity. That's kind of funny. Yeah. That site's disclaimer notes that Empire News is intended for entertainment purposes only and a bunch of bullshit. Which I'm adding in there. So that was that. But yes, there is a picture on Snopes.com here of Elvis Presley's back between the 50s and the, and the late 70s and an older version of him according to skepticals yeah. and everything. So I'll try to put that up as well. Then we go to actually going to Empire News now. That is uh, so-called fake news. Shocking DNA results revealed body of an elderly homeless man identified as Elvis Presley. This was January 31st, 2015. Same pictures and everything. And stuff I've already have read and everything. But that was about it for that. So between Snopes and Empire News, it reads the same shit. Um, let's see. Now, a lot of people said, uh, yeah, Elvis is still alive, but a lot of other people saying, no, it's a hoax. He died in 77. No. I knew he was alive. Because how would, how would he serve in the service and then go and perceive a career in music? And become the biggest icon ever in rock and roll entertainment. I knew this story was bullshit. That people said he was dead. He's alive! But now he's dead. 
Yeah, next thing you know, people go to say Michael Jackson's still alive. Oh, I'm waiting to find that one out. I'm waiting for that I one. I know for a fact that he fucking croaked. Yeah, that Michael Jackson died, and... According to... My professor in... College... Even uh, talked about this as conspiracy titles. Yeah. Within the paranormal. And... I actually have to agree with him. There's... If there's... A person that goes in a witness protection program... Um... Nine times out of ten, the person in the witness protection program... Aren't heard of. Aren't heard from, nor can they find any trace. Exactly. That's why I'm saying, that's bullshit. Yeah. And DNA labs around the world would not test somebody's DNA to figure out who they are. Well, if someone's... If it's just a doe, they say, ah, fuck it. Well, back then, but now... Yeah, um, they have to do some type of analysis to figure out who the person is. Yeah, literally. Okay, we're going to go to the next one. CIA agent confesses to killing Marilyn... Monroe. I couldn't find much of other stories on this one to try to collaborate with this, but probably not going. Every other one is just the same as what we're what I'm about to read here. This was submitted May 28, 2015. A retired CIA officer, Norman Hodges, has made a series of a Astounding or astonishing yeah. confessions since he was admitted to the Centra General Hospital on Monday. Centera. Centera, thank you. The 78 year old claims he committed 37 assassinations for the U.S. government between 1959 and 1972, including the beloved actress and model. Marilyn Monroe, huh? Playboy, model. Mr. Hodges worked as a high-level operative for 41 years and was granted top-level security clearance. Trained as both a sniper and a martial artist expert, (laughs) Mr. Hodges says he also has significant experience with more unconventional methods of inflicting harm upon others, like poisons and explosives. He says he was often employed as a hitman by the organization, oh, here we go again, spell check, you assholes, to assassinate individuals who could represent a threat to the security of the country. Most of his victims were political activists, journalists, and union leaders. But he also claims that he killed a few scientists and artists whose idea represented a threat to the, to the interests of the United States. 
Mr. Hodges says that Marilyn Monroe remains unique among his victims as she is the only woman he ever assassinated. He claims he has no regrets. However, as he says that she had become a threat for the security of the country and had to be eliminated. Right, this guy sounds like a psychopath already. Sounds like uh, every other fucking terrorist. We had evidence that Marilyn Monroe had not only slept with Kennedy, but also with Fidel Castro, claims M. Hodges. My commanding officer, Jimmy Hayworth, told me that she had to die and that it had to look like a suicide or an overdose. I had never killed a woman before, but I obeyed orders. I did it for America. She could have transmitted strategic information to the communist, and we couldn't allow that. She had to die. I just did what I had to do. Hodges has been placed under custody by the FBI which is taking his confession very seriously and has opened an investigation to verify his allegations. The investigation might be very complex. However, as very few written files are available on such secret activists and most of the actors Implement, implicated, sorry, take a drink, I fucked up the word, in the various cases are already dead. This, from, this one comes from Castro Valley, California. Mm. Hmm. Now, I try to do more research of this story, you know, on both the main title of it, and the other one of retired CIA agent confessing on deathbed, I killed Marilyn Monroe. I couldn't find a whole lot of shit whatsoever, but there was nothing mentioned about Marilyn Monroe knowing high class information. Uh. That could hurt America. Allegedly, she... Allegedly, due to the fact uh, people have heard, uh, you know, grapevine rumors that she did, that uh, JFK did have an affair with her. And they thought he might have told her things that were not to be known. Right. Or as George Carlin would say, secret. Right. But now, activists and journalists and union leaders, uh, I highly doubt that because I couldn't find anything on that one either. Um, it just seems kind of odd that a, uh, 
a retired CIA agent um, could do assassinations because that's not in their um, professional repertoire. Because <laughs> they just don't do that. Never believe what the government say. I know, I'm just saying for this story. I just don't believe that. I think this guy was fucking senile. Okay. Uh, next one is Abraham Lincoln and John F. Kennedy. I even looked for this stuff as well. Couldn't find shit, but it just led me to believe that this story was a hoax. Uh. But this was issued January 11th, 2013. Abraham Lincoln was elected to Congress in 1846. Yeah. John F. Kennedy was elected to Congress in 1946. Almost like a century later. Yeah. Abraham Lincoln was elected president in 1860, which he's on the $5 bill. Yep. John F. Kennedy was elected president in 1960. Both were particularly concerned with civil rights. Both wives lost a child while living in the White House. See, I knew that fucking house was uh, haunted. Could have asked freaking Jeff Belanger. He could have told you that. (laughs) No, I knew it a long time ago before Jeff Belanger got into the paranormal. Uh, Both presidents were shot on a Friday. I don't know about that one. Well, figure... That's still a question for me. Well, rumor has it that um, that Lincoln was assassinated at a freaking theater. Right. On a Friday. Right. JFK, well, we all know when he was assassinated. Yeah, it was And right it was on a TV. Friday. No, I, I don't think so. Guarantee you it's going to be said on a Friday. I don't know. Both presidents were shot in the head. Wrong! Yeah. Wrong. JFK, J- John F. Kennedy, yes. Because everybody saw it on a freaking TV and shit. Yeah. Which that is was actually the only, Which is actually the only time back then uh, schools were closed because of something like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we all know John F. Kennedy was shot in the head because his head exploded in the car on TV. Next to his wife. Yeah. By Lee Ozzy Harwald. Or Oswald. Oswald. Sorry. But Lincoln? Or, yeah, Lincoln was not shot in the head. It's a speculate. It's speculated that he was. Yeah, it's a speculation and a conspiracy because it's. Because in history, if I can remember correctly, he said that. Uh, Abraham Lincoln had an arrow shot and it was back and died. But this one said he was shot. Yeah, because the uh, first one was a... Well, also remember, um, our history teachers, except for the one I had, Mm. all were just teaching what they had been taught. Mm. They weren't taught the actual shit behind it. Right. The only one that actually taught actual sense when it came to history, paranormal, uh, conspiracy, 
LaForge. Yeah. He's the only one that actually made sense. Mm. And actually made really good points. Right. But I want to keep trying to find more of this story because it doesn't seem right to me. The, the word Friday? No. And shot in... Both presidents were shot in the head? Put the JFK? Question. Yes. Abraham Lincoln? No. Put the question out there. For anybody to... Uh, in other words, what were you taught back when you were in high school or in college about um, or just Abraham Lincoln being shot in the head right on a Friday it would say if you were taught the same thing or you were taught something totally different right now it says now it gets really weird Lincoln's secretary was named Kennedy Kenny's secretary was named Lincoln. Both were assassinated by Southerners. Yeah. Both were both were succeeded by Southerners named Johnson. Andrew Johnson, who succeeded Lincoln, was born in 1808. Lyndell Johnson, who succeeded Kennedy, was born 1908. John Wilkes Booth, yep. who assassinated Lincoln, was born 1839. Lee Harvey Oswald, who assassinated Kennedy, was born in 1939. Both assassins were known by their three names. Both names are composed of 15 letters. Now hang on to your seats. Yeah. Lincoln was shot at the theater named Ford. Yep. Kennedy was shot in a car called Lincoln <laughs> made by Ford. Ford. Booth and Oswald were assassinated before their trials. And here's the kicker! A week before Lincoln was shot, he was in Monroe, Maryland. A week before Kennedy was shot, he was with Marilyn Monroe. And Lincoln was shot in a theater, and the assassin ran into a warehouse. Kennedy was shot from a warehouse, and the assassin ran into a theater. Yeah. This doesn't say where it came from. That obviously was given uh, by someone that's anonymous. Yeah, but like I said, I don't believe most of that story. Because... Lee, Ozzie, Lee Oswald... Yep. Was, ...was arrested. Yeah. Doesn't mean he probably wasn't killed in jail. Now, the other one, I don't know because there's not a whole bunch of, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Significant ener Thank you. Evidence. Thank you. Well, one of them we obviously know probably won't ha find much on him. For example, Lincoln. Yeah. He's like way before everyone's time. Exactly. 
Kennedy, on the other hand, even people today know who the fuck he was. Oh, yeah. But as far as I remember history, Lincoln was uh, assassinated before John F. Kennedy became president. Yeah, but if you think about it, it's history repeated itself a century later on a different parallel. Right. That's right, I have to remember that. <laughs> All right, listen to the music in the metro. That sounds really corny for a story. Submitted January 10th, 2013. A man sat at a metro station in Washington, D.C. and started to play the violin. Oh, I hate those violins. Violins are bad. It was a cold January morning. He played six Bach pieces for about 45 minutes. That's actually Bach. Not Bach. Bach. I say Bach. Uh... During that time, since it was rush hour, it was calculated that 1,100 people went through the station, most of them on their way to work. Three minutes went by, and a middle-aged man noticed there was was musician playing. Ablib, there was a fucking musician playing. Okay, who sneezed? Might have been Patches. Nope, it was Batty. Yes, our <laughs> podcast kitties are with us again. But two are sleeping and one's going back to sleep. Uh, he slowed his pace and stopped for a few seconds. And then hurried up to meet his schedule. A minute later, the violinist received his first dollar tip. A woman threw the money in the till and without stopping and continued to walk. A few minutes later, someone leaned against the wall to listen to him. But the man looked at, looked at his watch and started to walk again. Clearly, he was late for work. And I bet you that motherfucker got fired. <laughs> the one who paid the most attention was a three-year-old boy. Aww. <laughs> His mother tagged him along, hurried, but the kid stopped to look at the violinist. Finally, the mother pushed hard, and the child continued to walk, turning his head all the time. This action was repeated by several other children, all the parents, without explanation, forced them to move on. You fucking bastards! How, how dare you do that to your kids? In the 45 minutes the musician played, only six people stopped and stayed for a while. About 20 gave him money, but continued to walk their normal pace. He collected $32! When he finished playing and silence took over, no one noticed it. No one applauded, nor was there any recognition. You bastards. Oops, my computer decided to go nuts. No one knew this, but the violinist was Joshua Bell. 
one of the most talented musicians in the world. He had just played one of the most intricate pieces overwritten, ever written on a violin worth $3.5 million. What the fuck? Yeah. Who the fuck would pay that much for a violin? Uh, if it's played by Joshua Bell, it's going to be worth $3.5 million. That doesn't make sense. Just walking to a place and just... And it's worth $3.5 million? Are you nuts? This guy didn't even have a name back then. Oh, he had a name. He was... he. The way it's looking, he was obviously... Um, might might be in the U.S. Oh yeah, he it's here in the U.S. If he was known as a uh, talented musician, he may, probably made his name in the U.K. and I Europe. Know. I don't know, but that's it's... where most musicians started. In the U.S., they weren't recognized right away. I know, but two days before his playing in the subway, why would you go to a subway to play a violin? Nobody likes that. I don't know. Joshua Bell sold out at a theater in Boston where the seats averaged $100. Back then, that was cheap. <laughs> that was chump change. This is a real story. Joshua Bell playing incognito in the Metro Station was organized by the Washington Post as part of a social experiment about perception, taste, and priorities of people. That's why people didn't recognize him. He was incognito. <laughs> Jesus Christ. The Washington Post people must be fucking stupid. Seriously. Why would they do an experiment? Getting a famous person named Joshua Bell that plays a violin and everything to do an, a, a social experiment for the Washington Post. Well... If you Couldn't th- you get somebody else to do that? Here's my theory. Back then, you didn't have impersonators. And they wanted to see if anybody would have recognized him out in the open instead of just at concerts that he did. There's the comparison. Yeah, but still, nobody's... If you were going through a subway to catch a subway train to, like... You know, you're starting off at Shitsville Station, and you have to get to Big Dick, Little Dick Station at 47th Street. <laughs> Nobody's going to want to listen to what fucking violinists play and figure out, who the fuck is this idiot? Oh, Bet well, you ten to he's one. just some bo- poor bum trying to play a violin just to get money to get off his feet. That's probably what they thought, but if you kind of put into theory the people that ignored him probably showed up at the fucking concert he did and probably said hey guess what I was the person you all ignored so what's the difference if someone like me that isn't in their um tuxedo performing any different from someone that isn't dressed up yeah but these people were idiots People are still fucking idiots. I mean, the most... I mean, probably not right now, but... The most people... Most times people see, like, 
people doing that type of thing is probably New York. And, well, with celebrity impersonators, those are between California and Vegas. Yeah. Two of the biggest fucking uh, entertainment spots. Actually, there's one more. New what? York. New York. That's what I just said. No, you said... I said Cal- New York. At first I said New York, which is which started to be known for that. Then it migrated to Hollywood, California. Yeah. As well as Vegas. Right. But I was talking about New York, New York. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Not New York itself, where Manhattan is. I'm talking New York, New York. They were actually the first original ones to start that, but they moved up to New York itself, where Manhattan was bigger. Because it had a lot more traffic of morons that don't pay attention. Well, if you actually think about it, New York, New York actually did start the Broadway. Yeah. And the reason they went from New York, New York to where Manhattan is, because there's more money. Right. New York, New York is, okay, it's, uh, it's famous, but it's not as famous as Manhattan is. Exactly. Goes on here, the outlines were in a commonplace environment at an inappropriate hour, do we perceive beauty? Which can be in all types of forms. Do we stop to appreciate it? I could answer that one. No, not many people will. Shit, both answers are no. Do we recognize the talent in an unexpected content? Context. Here's another answer. No. No, because no no matter where you are in the subway, you're going to get your ass shot, beaten up, or arrested. It doesn't really... Well, if it... Okay, not say like subway, in a subway, say like commonplace environments, not just a subway. Are people going to actually accept, actually listen, appreciate it? Most, most common answer for that is no, because people don't fucking care. Exactly. But as soon as they hear, oh, a famous person's going to do a concert... They want to shield money out of their assholes. That's if they have time. Oh, back then, I'm pretty sure. Due to the fact, that type of stuff back then was actually entertainment. Compared to what's considered entertainment now. Right. I mean, entertainment, I can understand if, you know, your train is not there. I could understand that for a little while. Which I could tell you, 10 to 1, back then, the trains were never on time. True. <laughs> that they I can still under- aren't. <laughs> yeah, that I can understand, and you know, to get recognized, yeah, or get money, I can understand that. But nowadays, no, no one cares. Unless everybody's you're... in a fucking rush to get to nowhere. That, or they're in a rush to get to buy uh, something that's legal. Yeah. And some states. Yeah, just like in driving, you you're in a rush to get nowhere, but yet you get. Into an accident, <clears throat> you try to blame it on the other person. Well, you get it's your fault, and nobody's there. There was one time I saw somebody trying to blame it on somebody, but it, it was a telephone pole. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. 
either, and I'm thinking either this idiot is on drugs or this idiot is on the wrong schedule of driving. That was actually my mother. She was actually No, 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 no. This was a male. Oh, it was a male? It was a male. Okay. That could be about almost a number of uh, guys in my family. (laughs) It goes on, one of the possible conclusions from this experience could be if we did not have a moment to stop and listen to one of the best musicians in the world playing the best music ever written, how many other things... Are we missing? Everything, all the above. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't think I should read that one. Yeah, no, no submit it, submission. Yeah. We'll leave that one up to you too. Is that true for an urban legend, or is that not true? Mm. But the the meaning of it is. Basically, not explaining what's going on right now in the world, but prior, what was everyone else's excuse? What, say, like, back then, all fucking jobs started all at the same time. Now, jobs are all at different times. Yep. But people today still don't do that, what that question's saying. Right, because back then it was, um, I believe the working times was like 8 to 5. No. Well, if you're a yeah, female and you work in secretary, it was 8 to 5. No, no, I'm talking about for everybody back then. Everybody back then? It was like 8 to 5. No. You had to be, you have to, you had to be at work for 8 o'clock in the morning, work to 5 o'clock. Now it's, in this day and age, it's 9 to 5 jobs. I don't know. Which is ridiculous. Well, if you think about it, back then, most of men, which figured back then, mainly men worked, unless you're female, you did other types. Men, mostly business guys, would work from from nine to five. Right. Women, which were uh, secretaries mostly, unless they were doing other things, were basically considered to work an eight to five just to get the office and shit uh, set in red, uh, set and ready for their boss. Yeah. Let's see, I'm gonna give paranormal, yeah, paranormal. (laughs) I'm gonna give Paramike a little break. And I'm going to start what Screen Rant says about Halloween Resurrection, which I love the title. Halloween Resurrection has the, the franchise's worst Michael Myers recon. <laughs> okay. And there, uh, might as well say a little bit of emphasis on their title. Halloween Resurrection is arguably the worst film in the franchise and appropriately sports the worst Michael Myers ever. Now, here's some emphasis on it, which I just said because they just kind of redid the first sentence. 
Having now reinvented its continuity three times, the Halloween franchise is one of the most convoluted in horror history. For proof of that, one need only remember the lead heroine, Laurie Strode, has been killed off three different times over the years. And no, I'm not saying her name. You already know who it is. And many will die a fourth time before Halloween ends. Credits roll in 2021, which is next year. One of the little nuggets I got for you, for you people after I finished this fucking things. <laughs> it's a bit hard to quantify. The worst recon in Halloween history if only because there's been so many. For starters, Halloween 2 changed Lori from a random target to Michael's sister. A change creator John Carpenter has always regretted. Well, you okayed it, so it stuck. In 1995's Halloween 6, Michael is revealed to have become evil thanks to a druid cult. 1998's Halloween H2O, which we just covered, ignores the films 4 through 6, undoing Laurie's first death and erasing her daughter in favor of a son. Rob Zombie's films created their own continuity, while last year's Halloween 2018 which I had two years ago, reconned all but the original film. Well, that, ain't that a slap in the face? Mm-hmm. Now, real, uh, let's see. Every character confirmed to return in Halloween Kills so far. When it comes to sheer disappointment, though, it's hard to beat Halloween Resurrection. A film already infamous for re- for featuring rapper Busta Rhymes, Busta Busta, spin spin kicking Michael Myers and taunting him, taunting him with trick or treat, motherfucker. That was I still say that's one of the worst stupid lines, uh, fucking lines in a film, ever. Topping that on the awful scale though, is Resurrection's opening, which absolutely destroys the satisfying ending of Halloween H2O in order to make way for a sequel nobody ended up enjoying. Halloween H2O had a perfect ending. This is sort of like continuing, because that's what uh, Halloween Resurrection was for, for H2O. As with several films in the seemingly undying franchise, Halloween H2O was written as a conclusion to the Michael Myers, Laurie Strode story. After spending the film running from Michael's wrath as her murderous brother claimed more victims, Laurie decided to quit being victimized and took the fight straight to Haddonfield's most unwanted. Michael is eventually taken away in an ambulance, 
but Lori rightly knows he won't stay dead. So she follows the vehicle and finishes Michael off for good by slicing off his head with an axe. Hollywood, however, couldn't leave well enough alone, and long came Halloween Resurrection to ruin things. Some more. Let's see. Halloween Resurrection reconned Michael Myers' H2O death. What that means, everybody, let me explain. Since they obviously didn't want to make another Halloween 3-style sequel without Michael Myers' Halloween Resurrection reconned, H2O's ending in an extremely stupid way. Resurrection revealed that somehow Michael had switched places with a paramedic and crushed his uh, larynx, larynx or thyrex, whatever you want to call that. Larynx. Thank you. So, th so he couldn't speak. Though Laurie had killed an innocent, innocent man, it spent the next few years committed in a mental asylum. Cool, 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 cool. Michael then shows up and kills her, marking Lori's second death. In one fell swoop, Halloween Resurrection undid one of the most crowd-pleasing conclusions in horror history, turned Lori Strode into a murderer, and brought Michael Myers back to suffer the indignity of killing people on a re reality TV show. Thankfully, John Carpenter would eventually return to write the Halloween ship. I don't know about all that much. Okay, that's what Screen Rant uh, wrote on that. And if this damn thing will fucking go backwards. Uh, let's see. I believe I got one more. Yep, I got one more for franchise. For, um... Oh, shit. Hey, there. Can you come here and blow this thing up for me? I got some... I got some more... One other thing on it, but that's all I could find for Halloween Resurrection. That's what came up. I can't read that. Sorry for the silence, folks. I think that works. Jamie Lee Curtis hated this, the idea of a sequel as she felt that Lori had a satisfying ending in the previous film. She initially refused to be in this film until she ultimately agreed to do her part. Only under the condition that she is killed off in the opening of the film. So as to make sure her character, Lori Strode, or herself, wouldn't appear in another sequel. At the time of the film's initial release, executive producers Malik Akid and Mustafa Akid tried to explain it by claiming Jamie Lee Curtis was so impressed with the screenplay 
that she wanted a large part in it. She has stated that was not the case. She was under contract to do it. As for name, as was first named Halloween, the home, the homecoming, but producers wanted a title that said Michael Myers is alive. So in February 2002, the film was officially named Halloween Resurrection. John Carpenter has stated that the movie made him cringe. Um, okay, come here. Not only am I the host, I'm also the tech. It won't go any any further. This is the second part here. That's supposed to be the entire thing, but there's supposed to be more to that. And this is actually um, one of the ones that you sent to me. Wait, go to the IMB right there. Found it. Got it. Sorry for the delay, folks. She's not technically inclined like I am. Funny. Oh, I I'm already good at researching and past stuff that I used to be able to do. Now, continuing from where John Carpenter stated that the movie made him cringe, Jamie Lee Curtis was quoted as saying she considered this film a joke. That's bad. If the lead fucking heroine of the of majority of the franchise says actually considers it a joke, that's bad. Several new endings were written during production, and the cast was never sure how the film was actually going to end. Um, that's actually how to do a film, what's one-on-one. Make sure you have everything that you've written for a script all fucking written and finished. Four different endings were filmed, and the, the director wanted the studio to ship a different ending to each theater. That's actually retarded. A technique used before, during the theatrical release of Clue 1985. Okay, so that's where they got that idea from. However, the studio disagreed. And the endings now appear on the Blu-ray, on the DVD and Blu-rays. Originally, the executives of Miramax wanted to continue the series by creating a whole new story, of which didn't have anything to do with Michael Myers after the last film, in a similar manner to Halloween Three. However, poll results conducted throughout fan websites proved to the producers that fans wanted Michael Myers to return once again. Stuntman Brad Lore 
a lifetime horror enthusiast and a fan of the horror, of the Halloween f- films, plays Michael Myers in this installation. Lore stated that had the series not been rebooted after Resurrection, he would have liked to reprise the role of Myers as he enjoyed the role. And probably because he couldn't talk, probably because he doesn't talk. Uh, we already discussed how many freaking of the films that Jamie Lee Curtis said. The film takes place on October 31st, 2001, and October 31st, 2002. Whatever the hell that's supposed to mean, I have no idea. Maybe you guys can let me know that one. Actors Brent Chapman and Kyle Labine, who have small roles in this movie, went on to appear in Freddy vs. Jason 2003. This makes them the only two people to be in a Michael, Jason, and Freddy film. Bianca Kajilic, however her last name said, cannot scream. And her screams had to be dubbed in post-production. Another thing I was right on. That 200 bucks is starting to creep up interest, bro. This is the second Halloween film to make any sort of reference as to what act exactly Michael Myers eats. Uh, in the original Halloween, 78, when Sheriff Brackett and Dr. Loomis enter the Myers house, they see something on the floor which turns out to be the corpse of a dog, which I explained when I first started reading the franchise series, things you did not know. Dr. Loomis simply says, he got hungry. Uh, Lee Curtis appears on the movie cover with short hair, despite having long hair in the film. If looked at more closely, one can easily tell that it's the same picture of her that was used for the pol- poster of the previous film, H2O. At around two minutes, a picture of Josh Hartnett, who played Laurie Strode's son, John, in H2O, can be seen on the wall above Laurie's head in the sanitarium. The name of the psychology professor of Haddonfield University is Dr. Mixter. This was also the name of the doctor in Halloween 2, that treated Laurie Strode and was killed by Michael Myers with a needle to the eye. Dr. Rick Rosenthal previously directed Halloween 2, which this says 21 years earlier. At the start of the film, an asylum inmate recounts how Michael Myers had stayed out of sight for these three years since Halloween H2O. 
This places the events of that scene in 2001. The first year to have a full moon occur on Halloween since 1945, which actually we have one this year. While in the asylum, Laurie Strode has a uh, Annabelle doll. No, I'm just kidding. Raggedy Ann doll. I have that one, everybody. Laurie Strode has a Raggedy Ann doll. There's a reason why I said an Annabelle doll. Look it up. In the original movie, Laurie Strode had a similar Annabelle doll on the dresser in her bedroom. And I'm not saying the fucking Annabelle movie doll. Look it up. In 2015, when being interviewed by Tubav, too fab. Lee Curtis has said that this film was a complete joke. And that the only reason why she did the film was because she signed a contract when doing H2O. Because that was the only way she could have H2O made. Three endings were shot regarding the fate of Freddie Harris, who was played by Buster Rhymes. The only film after the original is be to begin immediately with the Halloween theme playing over the opening credits. Con Coincidentally, take a drink of stumble. Coincidentally, the first and last films of the series open the same way. The Resurrection trailer was, see was first seen before Jason X in 2001, which was released on the 26th of April 2002. Now, this originally was originally set for a release date of September 31st, in 2001, but producers of Dimension Films wanted the film to be stronger, so reshoots took place from September to October 2001. Freddie Harris's surname is an homage to Daniel Harris, who played Michael Myers' niece, Jamie Lloyd, in Retur The Return of Michael Myers, and the Revenge of Michael Myers. This is the first and to date only Halloween film to be shot in Canada or anywhere anywhere outside the US. No, I was right on that one too. Sarah says that Michael's knife would be in an evidence room locker, which that was the beginning of Bride of Chucky. It came out in 1998, which I have all films, all the films. Michael's mask is shown in an evidence room locker. The only movie, the only one movie to establish Michael Myers' birthday, October 19th, 1957, which is actually Resurrection, pay attention, and around another two minutes, in the first scene of the college, Sarah Mo Moyer, played by Bianca Kajilic, 
is shown twirling her hair, much like Laurie Strode does in the classroom scene in the original film. The name Jen, Jen Denzig, Denzig is a reference to John Denzig, the former singer and leader of the Misfits, who wrote and sung the songs Halloween and Halloween 2 after the original movie was released. The two songs have nothing to do with the movies because their lyrics do not even touch the main plot. Michael's use of a spiked leg on a tripod as a weapon is an homage to Michael Powell's Peeping Tom, which came out in 1960. Lee Curtis was contractual ob obligated to be in a sequel, supposedly for a 30-second cameo, but reportedly was so interested in the story that she agreed to do a full four-day shoot and appeared in the, in the entire opening sequence. However, she was discounted this, she has discounted this, and only did it because she didn't want her character to be in any more films, which is another reason to say she thought the film was, as it was a joke. Kate Sackhoff, I don't know if I butchered that, but I don't care. I'm just going to say it again. Nope, you said it right. I know. I'm just going to say it again. Katie Sackhoff <laughs> originally was supposed to portray Donna Chang or Chang. Sarah states that she has talked that she is taking Dr. Mixter's course. Dr. Mixter was the. Uh, a ER doctor killed by Michael in Halloween 2. The 81 version, pay attention. I know there's two of them out there. Whitney Rancic Rancic and Dwight H. Little turned down the chance to direct. Probably because they knew it was fucking stupid. It's implied that Michael Myers stole the 1967 Pontiac Firebird earlier, although it's not shown. The main female lead stops to look at the tow truck with the Firebird as it drives down the street. Ryan Merriman, who plays Miles, and Billy Kay, who plays Scott, were both born on April 10th. I don't know what the dates of the actors were born are about this, but I don't really, but some people might want to know. Jacinda Barrett was originally cast in the role as Sarah Meyer, but dropped it shortly before production began. Again, she probably found something better. It was to be released on a on April 15, 2002, but pushed back to July 12, 2002. At around eight minutes, the security camera footage shows Michael walking down a corridor 
is similar to Halloween 2. When when the security footage shows Michael walking down a hospital hallway, both movies were directed by Rick Rosenthal. Miles and Scott dress up as Jules Winfield and Vincent Vega from Pulp Fiction, which that came out in 1994. But basically, that's where they got their look from, I guess. The director of of Pulp Fiction, Quentin Tarantino, was asked to make The Curse of Michael Myers. However, he declined. In case people didn't really know that. Brad Lore tried to get the role of the infamous and silent killer Jason Voorhees at the Friday 13th series for the long-awaited Freddy vs. Jason film. He almost got the role, but director Ronnie Yu wanted a more taller guy who could tower over Robert Englund, Freddy Krueger's character. Lore's known friends are mostly other members from Stunts Canada from Stunts Canada and one known member is Ken Zerzinger Kerzinger the man who actually got the role of Jason for the movie for the movie Lorena Gale and Katie Sackhoff later went on to star in science fiction series Battlestar Galactica that came out in 2004. Oddly enough, Lore plays a character who is four years older than Curtis's character Laurie Strode, even though in real life, Lore is one and a half years younger than Curtis. See, the knife that Michael Myers has in this in Resurrection is a 12-inch Victorinox Forschner with rosewood handle. The only Halloween film that was actually released in July was Resurrection. Bianca Kajilic was originally cast in the role of Jana Danzig. Resurrection Mask is usually regarded as the best mask of the sequel's buried part four. It was nearly identical to the original mask from Halloween and evoked intense emotion. Yet it did not escape criticism as it was decried by some for showing too much emotion. Otherwise, reception was mostly positive. Affordable mask, yeah, affordable. Affordable mask produced replicas of this mask have been produced by Trick or Treat Studios. Despite being billed as letters, okay, now I got it. Despite being billed as Letter Sweater Guy, the first guy to bust in on Deckard at the party with a young lady, 
is obviously dressed up as Archie from the comics. Notice the freckles especially. Buster Rhymes and Tyra Banks were both in Higher Learning in 1995, the same year The Curse of Michael Myers came out. Released the same weekend as Reign of Fire 2002, July 12, 2002. The film's pulse poster, take a drink or stumble, has Laurie reflected on the bottom of the knife, which is also bloodied and bloodied at the tip. I'm going to say that again. Bloodied at the tip. A sequel titled Halloween Retribution was planned and involved Josh Hartnett reprising his role as John Tate and Lee Brackett seeking revenge for Laurie and Annie's deaths on Michael Myers. But due to the critical backlash, low-budget office receipts, and the death of Mustafa Akid, godfather of the Halloween franchise, they decided decide to cancel it and go with Rob Zombie's remake to honor Mustafa's legacy with the first eight films. Now, a director cameo, as some of you guys didn't know, about Resurrection, Rick Rosenthal, at around 16 minutes, played a college professor. Let's see. Some more stuff below may give away important plot points in case you guys didn't know what those were. The film ends with a, with a sequel hook. With, bleh, take a drink of Stumbled. In fact, I'm going to take one too. <sighs> the film ends with a, se with a sequel hook. That sequel hook, pay attention. When Michael Myers opens his eyes and reveals he's alive in the morgue. Josh Hartnett was originally planned to reprise his role as John Tate for another film and seek revenge for his mother's death. Again, the critical backlash along with the film Ultimately, ultimately flopping at the box office, killed off any plans for a sequel. The next film would, uh, is Rob Zombie's remake of 2007 Halloween. Laurie Strode is only in the film for the first 15 minutes and only says 11 lines of dialogue. Despite this, Curtis still gets top billing as part of the cast. Eh, probably because she was in the whole fucking thing almost. Or every almost every sequel. Now, the body count for this one is 10. Plus one character presumed dead, but it's unconfirmed. If you count the bodies from the flashbacks, then the body count is 14. At around 16 minutes at the beginning of the movie, Harold begins to recount the victims of the first two films. And he says teenagers were killed, along with three nurses and a paramedic. 
This is completely wrong. Four teenagers are killed. Annie, Bob, Linda, and Alice. The girl talking on the phone at the beginning of the second movie. Four nurses, a paramedic, a security guard, a doctor, and the officer with Dr. Loomis, as well as the truck driver who was found by Dr. Loomis, which is where Michael got his jumpsuit attire. Okay, so the body count is actually a total of 10 for each film and add up to each film. So by the time Resurrection came out, it was actually a total of 10. Producers considered Daniel Harris, to, who played Jamie Lloyd in The Return of Michael Myers and Revenge of Michael Myers, for a role in this film, despite her character no longer existing, in the branched-off continuity, as the previous film, H2O, ignores all the films that came after Halloween 2. Even if it didn't, her character was killed off in Curse of Michael Myers. Now, Lori's death, the explanation of how she never killed Michael Myers in H2O, and the reality TV show Angle the Plot contains is so revealed by fans of the series. Some wish to ignore this film as if it never existed. In a similar strategy to Friday the 13th Part 4, Jason Lives, this film was titled to imply the killer is alive. Both films ended with a close-up of the killer's mask and his eyes opening. Of all the multiple movie 1980s horror slasher series, Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, and Friday the 13th, Laurie Strode is the only character to be the protagonist since the first, and eventually killed in the last. Nancy Thompson of A Nightmare on Elm Street is killed off in the third movie. It does not appear in the second nor the fourth to sixth films. Alice Hardy from the original Friday the 13th is killed straight away in the first sequel and was not considered Jason Voorhees' main enemy. Tommy Jarvis, who was Jason's main enemy, appears appeared in parts 4, 5, and 6, but does not die in his last appearance. In one of the different endings for this film, the resurrection film, pay attention, Brad Lore, the stunt double who plays Michael Myers, can be seen in the clip that shows the burned down garage. Second Halloween movie to have Michael get burned in a fire at the end. First was Halloween 2. Both were directed by Rick Rosenthal. At around 1 hour 17 minutes, Tara Banks' character's death was cut. You can still see the aftermath in the movie. 
I would have loved to see her character's death, actually. In that film, that would have made it a little bit better. Michael switching outfits with the paramedic, how he was, how, which is how he survived the previous film, is similar to the producer's cut ending to Halloween, Curse of Michael Myers, where Michael switches outfits with Dr. Wynn. Kane Hodder, in case any of you didn't know, was the Michael Myers stunt double in the film. There's another one I'm right on, Richie. You can't, you can't miss Kane Hodder's size. With Laurie's death in this film, the only two recurring lead actors in a horror series to not have been killed by the series killer are Christy Cotton from Hellraiser, who survived four battles with the demon Pinhead, and Cindy Prescott from Scream, who survives four battles with Ghostface. Oh God, now I'm starting to get that lyric in my head. Yeah. Also, Tommy Jarvis is alive and survived two attacks by Jason Voorhees and one by an imposter Jason in the Friday the 13th series. But he does not count as he doesn't appear in every film of the series. Nora Watson, played by Tara Banks, death scene was originally on screen. Publicity stills and behind the scenes photos proved that her death scene was filmed. It involved Michael stringing her up with electrical wire and him repeated, repeatedly stabbing her in the abdomen as she struggled. Which explains the pool of blood Sarah slips, up, slips on in the garage. The scene was later cut as a suggestion by Brad Lore, the stuntman who played Michael. As he stated, every horror movie has to have a character. Find the body of someone you didn't know was dead. Laurie's faking of her catatonic state in the beginning of the film could be a reference to the additional scenes film filmed from Halloween's 1978 TV version. The runtime wasn't long enough for broadcast television, so additional scenes seemed to be filmed during the production for, of Halloween 2 that came out in 81. One of these scenes included Michael, still as a child, faking a catatonic state, fooling all the doctors at the sanitarium, except Dr. Loomis, into thinking he is not as, a da as dangerous as Loomis thinks he is. Most, if not all of these scenes, could be found online. Despite being in contact throughout, it is notable that the heroine, Sarah, and hero, and hero Deckard, Deckard, have still never met even at the end of the film. 
When Michael kills Jim by crushing his skull and blood comes out of Jim's, Jim's eyes, it is similar to Halloween 2. When Laurie shoots Michael in the eyes at the end and blood comes out the mask eye holes. And that's it for Resurrection. I can get rid of that one. Uh, here we go. Let's see. Eh. Let's see. Let's see. The next one is going to be... Hang on. Let me try to find it here. Here we go. The next one is GameSpot.com. And this is Rob Zombie's 2007 Halloween remake. 37 things you didn't know about the slasher remake. Rob Zombie was known throughout the 90s as the frontman for rock band White Zombie. But by the 2000s, he had reinvented himself as a horror director. Okay, there's something wrong with that right there. Rob Zombie's brother was the frontman for White Zombie. Until he had an accident and Rob Zombie took over. Um, it's hard to kind of figure that one out because Rob Zombie and his brother did sound similar, almost identical, when they sang. But Rob Zombie, he was also the front band of his own front man of his own goddamn band, which became went from White Zombie to Rob Zombie. Okay, he reinvented himself as a horror director. His first two movies, House of a Thousand Corpses, which came out in 2003, that was good. That was good. And The Devil's Rejects, 2005, that was also pretty good. Really good. One fans with their mix of grueling, B-movie-inspired horror, over-the-top gore, gaudy visuals, and dark humor. His love of the genre was clear, and in particular, his affection for the groundbreaking movies that emerged from the 1970s. But it wasn't surprised when in 2006, he was announced as the director of the remake John Carpenter's Halloween classic. By that point, there had already been seven movies in the Thrasher's franchise, not including the standalone Halloween 3. But the previous movie, 2002's Resurrection, was a commercial disappointment 
and a critical bomb, and it was unclear with what direction the series would go in next. Zombie took the series right back to its roots and delivered his own very specific spin on the classic story. Zombie's Halloween hit theaters in August 2007, and it was a box office hit. But the movie was, and remains, extremely divisive, which means a little divisive. Some people think one way, other people think another way. It's a film of two halves. The first being an origin story from Michael Myers. I'm, up, I'm right on that one too, Richie. Which showed how his troubled family life helped transform him into a killer. The second half is essentially a compressed remake of Carpenter's film as an adult Michael returns to his hometown of Haddonfield on October 31st for a night of bloody mayhem. But while many of the events are the same and all the family characters are in there, the oppressive atmosphere and mix of graphic gore and sex made, made it unmistakably a Rob Zombie movie. But love it or loathe it, or hate it, Rob Zombie's Halloween, plus its 09 sequel, are a crucial part of the history of this long-running franchise. As with many of Zombie's movies, the home entertainment releases have been packed with bonus material including an extensive making of documentary and director's commentary. They've been back through the behind the scenes material. Oh, sorry. GameSpot, which is what I'm reading this from, had, had backed, uh, have back, been back through the behind the scenes material to find some of the best, most surprising, and fascinating references, Easter eggs, and things you didn't know about the film. And once you've, once, which I'm reading, uh, it explains, check out their uh, GameSpot's original guides to original Halloween and H2O. Now, we start the countdown. Um, yeah, we'll start, start the countdown for 37 things. You didn't know about Rob Zombie's remake. 2007, pay attention. Number one. The movie was shot in the same town as the original. Like the first film, Rob Zombie shot Halloween in South Pasadena, California. The house used for the exteriors of the, of the Myers house was two miles 
from the one that Carpenter used. However, Rob Zombie said he couldn't use it because it was all restored and looking good. Number two, William Forsyth's leg cast in the movie is real. Or actually, it was real. William William Forsyth plays Michael's abusive stepdad, Ronnie. His character's leg is in a cast throughout because shortly before production started, Forsyth had a motorcycle accident and couldn't walk properly. So, Zombie said he was in pain throughout the shoot, and that's why he is sitting in every scene. Number three, Baby Angel didn't want to cry. The baby playing young Angel slash Lori found for Shathy's voice very soothing. Even though Zombie wanted the child to be upset during the argument scenes, he said that she would stop crying every time she heard for Shathy's for Shaith yelling at Sherry Moon Zombie playing Michael's mom. There's none of what I'm right on, Richie. Number four. This kid, the kitchen was accidentally tidied. What that means is actually clean. The opening breakfast scene in the Myers house was shot on the first day of production. The real kitchen it was initially messy, as it appears in the film, but not realizing that's how Zombie wanted it. The art department tidied the whole room ahead of filming. Zombie then had to tell them to put it back how they found it. Number five. There were three Myers houses. I mean, number five, sorry. Uh, there were three Myers houses. Okay. Zombie and his team had trouble finding a house that had all the rooms they needed for the various scenes set there. In the end, the exterior, the downstairs and upstairs scenes were shot in three different ones. Number six. This, uh, this kid I'm about to read was already famous. Daryl Shabera, who plays school bully Wes uh, Wesley, was best known in 2007 for his lead role in the Spy Kids movies. These scenes were shot in a real school. As Shabera kept getting mobbed, by the kids there when they discovered who he was. Number seven. Young Michael loved to swear. Dick Fersh, who played young Michael, loved the scenes where he gets to swear because he wasn't allowed to at home. Zombie said that he kept laughing as he said that dialogue and you can see him 
start to crack up a little up. Oh, yeah. And you can see him start to crack up a, a couple of times in this scene. Number eight. This old movie is a homage to, to the first Halloween. Zombie has the characters watch the 50 horror classic, The Thing, from another world on TV. Because that's what they were watching in the original. In a later scene, adult Michael deliberately stops to watch some more of the movie. Having missed, about, missed a lot of it 15 years earlier because he was busy killing his family. Number nine. William Fershaith didn't want a kid to cut his throat. It's your goddamn freaking role. Do it. A stunt double stood for, uh, for Fersh for the scene in which Michael cuts Ronnie's throat. Even though Fershaith is wearing a makeup appliance. It still had to be cut open for the blood to, th to flow out. And Forshaith, understandably, didn't want a 10-year-old waving a knife near him. Number 10. This clever shot, which I'm about to, to read, was actually very simple. The striking plot... Shot from the camera, moving through what seems to be a freeze frame to Michael sitting in the police car was designed on the day of shooting. While it looks like a clever use of visual effects, Zombie actually told the background actors to just, just to stand very still while he moved the camera towards the car. Number 11, a lot of these reactions are genuine. The int interview between Loomis and Myers was semi-improvised, meaning Zombie gave Malcolm Dowell and Farsh random things to say to each other without telling each other what they were in order to get genuine responses. Number 12, Zombie had a week to create several se seasons. That's not a, whole lot of se not a whole lot of time. The hospital scenes were shot at a veterans hospital in North Hills, Cal California. Zombie only filmed there for a week, but needed to give the impression of many months passing. So he used fake snow rain, and sunshine for the various briefest establishing shots. The rain scene was literally just someone standing to the side spraying a hose in front of, a in front of the camera. Hopefully that camera was uh, waterproof. Because those cameras are not fucking cheap. Um... What, did you want to stop or...
Because know how you are when you get hungry. Yeah, we're going to stop right here. Because uh, I am getting hungry. <laughs> and two cups of fuel doesn't do it anymore to fill my belly up until I decide to get hungry. But unfortunately, it flipped. Yeah. So we're going to end it here. We'll pick it up probably tomorrow. Um, well, so you got to edit tomorrow. We could oh, do yeah, it Wednesday. Right. Wait. Edit. No, today's Thursday, Tuesday. sorry. <laughs> yeah, Thursday. Because we are, I don't think we'll be able to do one Friday. No, I got an appointment that but day. But maybe next week we can. Well, so, we could probably do it. We could do one Thursday. You have to do a little bit of editing on Saturday, but we could probably do something for like Saturday afternoon or something. Yeah, we could. If it works. We should. But that's going to end it for the show. Hope you enjoyed it. Check out our website, everythingparanormal.gear.host backslash ep.html. Become a fan and everything. Tell us what else you tell us what you would like to hear. Yeah, our emails. Next after I finish all the Halloween franchise trivia stuff. Yep. The emails at the bottom of the first page on the left hand side and everything. Um Got rid of Skype. I forgot to say that before the show. I okay. got rid of Skype because Skype's being Jewish again. But we have a new link through Zoom. So you can contact us through there. If we're not online, don't worry. We will get on the Zoom and everything which, when uh, we do a show. Which is basically every, everything that people are using nowadays for podcasts yeah. when they have guests on. Yeah. I still got to tinker with that part because it's not like uh, Skype where it's easy and you know what you're doing. Zoom's a little different, so it's going to take me a bit to figure it out. But there is a link down there that says contact us on Zoom and everything. Um, That's about it. That does it for me, Parrot Mike. And into that creepy dark dungeon excuse me, of the dark news side, is the lovely gothic. I'm Paralore. And now we'll do it for now. Catch you on the flip and keep it paranormal.